Just want to take a quick moment and introduce myself to those of you who don't know me. My name is Destin Garner. I serve as a student ministry pastor here at Rock Point Church. And just want to tell you that this is probably one of the proudest moments as a student pastor. I've been in student ministry for 13 years and just getting to see the videos of these students serving in our own community. Getting to see Allie coming to Christ in the video of her baptism. Getting to watch our students stand on stage and lead an older generation in worship. It's just absolutely incredible. And so we've had a phenomenal weekend. We are tired. We are exhausted. But we've had a lot of fun. We are looking forward to sleeping in on President's Day. But kind of what we're doing, the theme of our entire weekend was greater. We wanted to put the emphasis solely on Jesus Christ, that he is greater than our ups and our downs, our highs and our lows. He's greater than our failures, and he's greater than our successes. And so that's what we've been doing, what we've been talking about and learning but at the same time, we come in here and in this auditorium been talking about the home and the family and marriage and finances. So trying to blend all of those together. So what I want to give you today is a talk about how to make a greater impact in your home. How to make a greater impact in your family. Now, every single one of us in here, what we all share in common is this, that we all have families, okay? Now, you family, your family may be perfect And I brought some pictures of other perfect families, okay, that we can identify with. So here's the first kind of perfect family. (laughs) Absolutely. Just pristine, right? I got another example of a perfect family right here. I don't know if they're perfect, but it just looks perfect, right? Just an absolutely perfect looking family. And the final example, the most perfect family of all. <laughs> Just a little joke of that. So you, maybe you have a perfect family like the birds or the royal family, or, right? But maybe your family, maybe you don't have a perfect family. Maybe you identify more and you think your family is awful like this family. <laughs> it's just, right? Maybe you have an awful family. One more picture of an awful family. Just maybe you can identify with this. Hey, son, if we uh, duct tape your mom and your sister's mouth, we can get some peace and quiet, you know, and then send out a Christmas card, okay? Maybe you have an awful family. Maybe, maybe you just have a weird family. I don't know. There was no caption. It was just, it's just weird, right? Maybe you got a weird family like this one here. That's actually Ron when Brock was born. No, I'm just kidding. Or am I, right? Finally, do you have this kind of weird family? Tom Brady still kisses his dad on the lips, right? Well, that's just weird. Okay, we can take that. I don't want to look at that. That's crazy, right? (laughs) So here's the deal, right? Whether, Whether you live in a perfect family or you're one of those weird families or you just got an awful family, the truth of the matter is every single one of us in here, we can have a greater family. We have the potential for that, a greater greater kingdom serving, God honoring, Christ following family. That is the potential for each and every one of us. And the cool thing is whether you're six, you're 16, or you're 60, You have a role to play. God has chosen you and placed you in the family that you're in. And he's given you a responsibility. He's given you a role to say, hey, you can make an impact for Christ in your family. We all have been called to that. And we've all been placed uniquely in family situations by the sovereignty of God to make a greater family impact. 
And so we may be thinking, hey, I know one or two, or maybe someone's like, I know like 10 things I could do to be a better family member. But here's what I wanted to get at. What if it's not just the things you know? What if I could uncover and get you to think about some of your blind spots as a parent, as a child? What if I could get to discover and kind of peel back where you may not be seeing and you may not even know how you can become a greater family member? And so what I wanted to do, we got a mixed audience today. I want to try to keep everybody involved and for everybody to say, hey, this sermon applies to me in my life. And so I wrote a question. I sent it out to a bunch of people, students, people my age, people my parents' age. And I asked them one question. I said, hey, just tell me. And I got feedback from all across the generations. So as I read the questions, as I read the answers, I hope it just kind of draws you in and you begin thinking, man, how can I make a greater impact in my current family? And for students, maybe it's your future family one day too, right? Here was the question I asked some of the people in my life. I got about 45 responses and I brought 10. The question was, what do you wish your parents knew? but you would never in a million years tell them. People were so honest. Here's the top 10 when I just kind of pulled them out. One person said, I'm saddened you don't make time to have a relationship with your grandkids. You're missing out on sharing life with them, and they're missing out on truly knowing you. Another person said this, talking to their parents, I wish you had deep conversations about the Lord with me. You brought me to church, but you are passive in discipleship. I wish you only knew how impactful your passivity was in my life. Because I did not have a great spiritual foundation, I ran from the Lord and I did my own thing, causing much heartache in my high school years. Discipleship, as well as the lack of discipleship, is incredibly impactful. One person wrote, he said, Dad... I know you know that I took your fireworks. I got caught with those. But what I wish you knew is that I also used your cigarettes, your vodka, and your pornography at the age of 12. To my father especially, will you just try to know what's going on inside of me? Will you ask me what I need? Will you act real instead of pretending that everything's okay when it's not? Another person wrote and said, I wish you had made time for intentional family discipleship. I wish our practices as a family went beyond just praying before dinner. One person wrote and said, Mom, I know you struggle with your body image, but please don't make snarky comments so that I hate my body as well. You set me up to hate my body as an adult. One person said, Mom, I wish you were more spiritually rooted and not just a people pleaser. I saw you compromise the word of God for so many reasons, but mainly for the fear that you would lose relationships around you. You were an example of being double-minded. And for years, I resented your lack of commitment to Jesus, although we attended church every single week. One person wrote this, my sisters and I used to wonder why you, mom, you never got involved in church Church was just something we did on Sunday and we didn't talk about till the following Sunday. If church was so important that we had to go every week, why would you not give more? Why would you not do more? We desired a Christian community but never got it. One person wrote this, Dad, do you love me? You never said those words to me or my sister until we were grown with kids of our own. 
Well, I personally knew you loved me when I was a child. Even without the words, it would have been really comforting to hear them. Sadly, my sisters didn't feel the love or recognize it, and it left wounds that are just now beginning to heal. The last one, he writes, Dear Dad, I wish you had known how your criticism of me would shape my life. I never felt like I measured up in your eyes, and the lie of I'm inadequate became written on my heart. I spent the better part of my entire adult life trying to compensate so that others wouldn't discover my secret, that I'm an inadequate employee, husband, father, etc. Too many people I care about have paid the price for my unbiblical and unhealthy behavior in the efforts to overcome my sense of inadequacy. I have resolved not to pass this legacy on to my children and my grandchildren. Signed a 58-year-old husband, father, and grandfather. How would you answer that question? Something you wish your parents knew, but you would never in a million years dare to tell them. If you have kids, how would your kids answer that question? What I know from this, what I learned from this list of just reading these emails that came flooding into my inbox is that every family's got room to grow. Every family has potential to grow in Christ. And so I want to talk about today, how can we do that? What is God's design? What is God's plan for family flourishing? So I want you to grab a Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to look at verse 1 through 4. Here in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, I think Paul is talking about God's design, God's plan for family flourishing, how to make a greater impact in your family. And here's what he writes. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. It is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So first I want to talk to children today, which is every single one of us, right? We've been, unless you've been dropped on this planet from outer space, which is my working theory for some of you, but most of us are children. We have parents or had parents at one time, right? So I think God's plan, God's design for family flourishing when it comes to our role, even my role as a child is this, is to honor our parents. And what is honor? It's, It's esteem. It's admiration, it's respect, it's love, it's appreciation, it's affection, and it has no specified age limit on it. So when the term right here, it says, children, obey in the Lord, does this put limits on your obedience? As as children, can you only obey if they are in the Lord, if your parents are believers? Does it mean that you only obey if they're acting in conduct with the Lord? No, it doesn't. When he says, children, obey in the Lord, he's talking about because you are in the Lord, because you are a believer, because you have put your life in Christ, and now you will obey and honor. No matter what, without exception, what, what if your parents are sinful? And they are. All of us have sinful, broken, flawed parents. Do we still honor them? Yes, we do. See, they have to deal with their sin, and they're responsible for that and finding forgiveness in Christ Jesus. But you're responsible for you and God, what he has called you to do for family flourishing, for the design of the family, is to honor even when they're sinful. What if they're terrible? What if they're awful? 
And I get it. Some of you, I know your story. I know the families you're in. And you would say, man, I, I, I would rather be anywhere than home. It is a literal hell on earth. Is God still asking you to honor your mother and father? Absolutely he is. And I don't think God is diminishing what you're going through. God, God sees and he knows and he's brokenhearted over what you're experiencing. If you live in a terrible family, but God's saying, hey, for the best possible outcome, I'm calling you to honor. Even when they're terrible, even when they're sinful. And they've got to deal with that and confess to God. But for you, your job is to honor. And a great family may not even be possible because of who's in the dynamic. But our role, our God-given responsibility for family flourishing, honor, no matter what. And I love what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. says. He says, hate begets hate. And violence begets violence. And toughness begets a greater toughness. But we must meet the forces of hate with the power of love. If you live in a terrible family and you just feel this hatred coming at you all the time, and if you just respond in kind, how are you any different? Eventually, someone has to stop this vicious cycle of retaliation of hatred. Someone has to extend a hand of forgiveness. And that's our job is to honor, even when we live in terrible situations. But I want you guys to remember this. Ephesians goes on to tell us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and against principalities. Listen to me. Your parents are not your enemy. They're not. Our struggle is against powers and principalities. Our struggle is against Satan, and he wants to kill, to steal, and destroy the family unit. He wants children to dishonor parents. He wants mothers and fathers to provoke them to anger. That's his design, to rip it apart. And so we say, you know, we have to fall in line. And because we're in Christ, we honor, we obey, we don't provoke to anger. And so Paul gives three reasons in this text why we are to honor, why we are to obey. Number one, he says, it is right. Which means it's just kind of common sense. This is just fair and proper. It's your payback for them keeping you alive, right? They wiped your poopy diapers and gave you a bottle and dealt with your sass for so many, right? It's just fair and proper, kind of common sense universally that you would obey and honor them. The other reason he gives is because we talked about this. He said, it is conduct expected of those who are in Christ. So if you are in Christ, this this is what you should be doing. You should be honoring and obeying your parents. Right, And the way I think about it is like what this means is just being common and expected. is like when I get in the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A, I don't pull up and order a, a hamburger or a Whopper, right? I order a chicken because that's what you do at Chick-fil-A. You order chicken. And so he's saying here, if you're in Christ, this is just expected that you would honor and obey. The third reason he gives is he says it's a command. The Bible isn't giving a suggestion here. It's not saying this is good advice. It is saying you must do this. Honor and obey imperative. It attaches even a promise to it. And I know another reason that I love, it's not in this one, but in Colossians 3.20. It says, children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. You want to please God, whatever your age is, honor your mother and father. So practically speaking, how do we dishonor our parents? What are some things that we do that would bring dishonor? Ways that Satan is trying to kill, steal, and destroy the family unit. Number one is this. You're always asking for or demanding stuff, okay? 
If you just, I need this, I need this, I need this. And, you know, students here, like, I get it. You don't really need it because I got, a, I got a, a lost and found full of Under Armour jackets. I'm going to take them home, too. I can, I'm going to squeeze into a small, right? And so you've got plenty of them. And so if we're always asking, I need this, I want this, I have to have this, right? That's a way we can dishonor. Another way is we don't give full attention when talking to them. Man, whether we got earbuds in or we're looking at phones or we're watching TV or listening to music, whatever it is. When someone, when an authority figure, when your parent talks to you regardless of your age, man, if you don't give them your full attention, I believe it's dishonoring. Another one is making them feel like they're not good enough, they're not smart enough, they're not rich enough, they're not present enough, that they're just not enough. Man, I would say to all of us, like now as a parent, I get it, like I'm trying. I'm trying so hard. I'm trying to do my best, but I'm going to fail every single day. And I don't want my daughter, Sanders and Bryce, to just, you know, string me out to dry on that. Make me feel terrible about it. It's a way we dishonor. Waiting for parents to ask you to do what you know you should be doing is dishonoring. Being asked multiple times to do anything is dishonoring. Parents, you can chime in and bring an amen over the students anytime you want to. I'm preaching for you here. <laughs> Not giving the full truth, being dishonest, being deceptive is dishonoring. Students, do you have hidden apps? Do you have a little thing that looks like a calculator, but it's got secret pictures? Do you have apps that are invisible and your parents can't? Do you, are you open and honest with your phone and just hand it to them and say, here's all my online activity. If you are not doing that, if you are hiding anything, if you are being deceptive in any way, it is dishonoring. It is a way Satan is trying to rip your family apart. Right? We want to be people of integrity, people who are honest. That's what's honoring. Talking bad about your parents. If you don't have anything good to say about your parents, shut your mouth. To talk bad about them is dishonoring. Making things harder for them. That's mine. I love it. If I don't like you, I'm just going to make things harder for you. I'm real passive aggressive. I hate conflict, so I'm not going to tell you. I'll just try to make things really difficult for you, right? This one gets me every time. But it's dishonoring. It's dishonoring. Not communicating with them. Not thanking them for special stuff, for everyday stuff. Students, you want to know a statistic? You know how much you cost your parents' total bill, birth through 18? Any guys got a guess? $300,000, yes, that's how much it is, right? But here's what I say. You guys are flow-mo kids, so you're probably double that, okay? You're probably like $600,000. You got a big lifestyle there. That is not including the $60,000 a year college that you want to go to and the $100,000 wedding you want your parents to pay for you and the hunting, right? It's a big, big bill, and you need to look and appreciate. So here's the deal. I don't have time in my sermon, so Cody and I, we shot a video this weekend or this week. It's an extra additional supplemental resource video. You can go online, rpc.fm backslash the home. Parents, you got to do this. Students, you got to do this. I've put an assessment, a tool in there, parents or students, an activity that will help you better appreciate all the things your parents do for you. If you want to be better at honoring your parents, go watch that video. I've got an incredible activity. Jamie does this with her students at Grapevine Faith. It's awesome. It's eye-opening. Parents, make your kids go do this, right? It will make for some great, great conversations. So what are some practical ways that we can honor our parents? We can honor them and family flourish, a greater family impact. Here's the way you can do it. Number one, you can give them and extend them forgiveness. You've been extended forgiveness by Christ, Right? You can extend them. You can appreciate and thank them. When's the last time you prayed for your mom? When's the last time you prayed for your dad? It's a way we can honor them. 
You can include them in what you do. Oh, my goodness, that's my hope and my prayer now as a father. I just want to be involved in Bryce's life. I just want to do what she does, right? I want to play tea. I want to play basketball. I want to watch Winnie the Pooh. I want to be included. You can accept their discipline. When they're, when they're disciplining you and training you in the righteousness and instruction of the Lord, you can just accept that. You can disagree with them, but do it respectfully. It's a way to honor them. You should regularly contact them. This has no age, right? I still, I'm so bad about calling my parents, but I need to be better at that. It's a way to honor them. I can generously assist them. I can fondly reminisce with them. When we get old, that's what we do. We just like to live back, you know, and think about all the old times. And so I do that with my daughter. I've got little pictures on my phone, and I'll just sit back, and I'll be like, oh, remember that time a month ago when you did that thing, you know? And I'll just let that iPhone, I'll just play that video four or five times. Like, come here, Bryce, you know, and we'll just watch it. But it's good we just fondly reminisce. Do what they want to do. I get it. They want to listen to weird music and not very loud and go to weird restaurants, you know. But just, like, go to the Golden Corral at 4 o'clock with them, you know. Like, (laughs) it's a way to honor them. It's a way to honor them. So I wanted to give you a final story I just uh, in talking to children before I move over and talk to parents. How can we honor? I think this is a great picture. Once there was a little old man. His eyes blinked and his hands trembled when he ate. He clattered the silverware distressingly and he missed his mouth with the spoon as often as not. He dribbled a bit of food out of his mouth onto the tablecloth. And now this old man, he lived with his married son, having nowhere else to live. His son's wife didn't like the arrangement. I can't have this, she said. It interferes with my right to happiness. So he and her husband took the old man gently but firmly by the arm and led him to the corner of the kitchen. There they set him on a stool and gave him his food in a bowl. From then on, he always ate in the corner, blinking at the table with wistful eyes. One day his hands trembled rather more than usual, and the bowl fell and broke. If you're a pig, said the daughter-in-law, then you must eat out of a trough. And so they made him a wooden trough, and he got his meals in that. Now these people had a four-year-old son whom they were very fond of. One evening the young man noticed his boy intently working with some bits of wood and asked what he was doing. I'm making a trough, he said, smiling for approval, to feed you and mama out of when I get big. The man and his wife looked at each other for a little while, and they didn't say anything. They cried a little. Then they went to the corner, and they took the old man by the hand. They led him back to the table, and they set him in a comfortable chair, and they gave him his food on a plate. And from then on, nobody ever scolded when he clattered or spilled or broke things. Honor is treating your parents the way you want your kids to one day treat you. So a great question I think kind of helps sum it all up is, I've asked this before, it says, if your parents got all their value and all their self-worth just from the way you treated them and talked about them, how valuable would they feel? I remember one time I said that, and a student who sat like right here to my left, they just blurted out awful. They just couldn't contain anymore, right? So we think about that, God's design for children in our families. So let's move over to parents. We see in Ephesians 6.4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, does this mean that we're not ever supposed to make our kids mad? No, not at all. The Bible is very, very clear about discipline. It says in Proverbs twenty-two, fifteen: folly is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. 
Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. As parents, we are given the responsibility to discipline. I have a buddy of mine, and what he says, he asks his son, he goes, son, why do I discipline you? And what he wants his son to say is, because you love me, dad. He said, if I hated you, I wouldn't discipline you, but I love you, so I discipline you, right? So is that what this verse is talking about? I mean, discipline, is, it's uncomfortable, it's going to make your kids angry, make them a little upset. Is that what this verse is talking about, don't provoke them to anger? No, not at all. Here's what Paul means. He's saying, parents, do not abuse your authority in treating your children in harsh and unfair ways that would create resentment and bitterness. So parents, when we go to discipline our children, we ask this question, is the discipline I'm about to give to my child going to result in their correction or their bitterness toward me? How am I going to do with that? I love the verse that talks about here, you want to bring up your child. That, that same term, bring up, it's used in Ephesians 5.29 when talking about the way a husband should treat his wife. To bring up, it means to cherish, to nourish, to feed, to self-sacrificingly care for. And so when Paul is writing this, what parenting was in those days was threefold. You provide for physical needs, you show affection, and you teach them the law of God. That's this idea of the the cherish and the nourish. The training and instruction of the Lord is just talking about following Christ's example. And what Paul's saying here of the Lord is that it has to be truly Christian. Not necessarily about what we want, but what God wants. What one author says is, we as parents must broker the Lord's instructions to our children. So how do we do this? How do we practically get at this? And rather than me coming here, and here's one way, when they're 12, say this, when they're 10, do this. I thought about what if I just gave you some big picture parenting ideas? Rather than like, here's a new thing to do. What if we just shifted and reoriented the whole way we approach it and looked at parenting in a different way? And I get it, right? I've been parenting for 21 months and two days. So uh, (laughs) get your notepads out, right? (laughs) But I have, but I've been parented. And I've been in a unique situation as a student pastor. I've seen hundreds of parenting styles. I've had people in my office just laying out, parents laying out their dirt, all the things that they're going through, the way they're trying to raise their children, the problems in their families. I've been in ministry long enough and read enough resources that what I'm doing is just I'm kind of compiling all this together. And I'm not really telling you as a parent, this is the way it has to be done. I'm telling you what I'm learning. As a parent, 21 months into this thing, what what I'm trying to get right. So I just want to share these seven principles with you. And if they're helpful, praise God. So the first one is this, that your children don't belong to you. Psalm 127.3, behold, children are heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. And so ultimately, they're God's children, they're God's possession. And so we have to ask ourselves, are, are we like, just like they're my kids and I'm going to do with them what I want, I'm going to raise them the way I want? Or do we think, hey, they're God's children ultimately that he has entrusted to our care? Last week we just talked about this in here. Our finances, our money's not our own. It's been given to us by God. Your life is not your own. You have been bought with the price. You don't make your heart beat or your neurons fire, your lungs breathe. It's a gift from God given to you to steward. Same thing with children. They're not ours. They're the Lord's. And so in his book, Dr. Paul David Tripp, here's the book title. It's Parenting, 14 Gospel Principles That Will Radically Change Your Family. I have been eating it up. I've been reading it a ton. 
And here's what he talks about. Here's what he writes about the difference between being an owner parent or an ambassador parent. Dr. Tripp says, good parenting, which does what God intends to do, begins with the radical humbling recognition that our children don't belong to us. Whether every child in every home and everywhere on the globe belongs to the one who created him or her. Children are God's possession for God's purpose. That means that God's plans for parent is that we would be agents in the lives of these little ones entrusted to our care. The word that the Bible uses for this immediate position is ambassador. Now, the only thing that an ambassador does is to faithfully represent the message, method, and characters of the one who has sent them. An ambassador is not free to think or speak or act independently. Everything he or she does, every decision he or she makes, every interaction must be shaped by this one question. What is the will and the plan of the one who sent me? An ambassador does not represent their own interests, their own perspective, or their own power. Parenting is ambassadorial work from beginning to end. It is not to be shaped and directed by personal interest, personal need, or cultural perspective. Every parent everywhere is called to recognize that they have been put on earth to do one thing in the lives of their children. And that one thing is God's will. Here's what this means at street level. Parenting is not first about what we want for our children or from our children, but what about God and his grace has planned to do through us and our children. When we lose sight of this, we end up with a relationship with our children that is neither Christian nor true parenting because it's become more about our own will and way than the will and way of our sovereign Savior King. So how do you know if you're an ambassador parent or an owner parent. In that resource video I talked about, rpc.fm backslash the home, I give you four assessments, four areas to look in your life to determine whether or not you're an ambassador or an owner. Go listen to that video. Go check it out. I think it will be very insightful. The second principle that I'm learning is this. Our goal as parents is not control just to, to discipline them and just to get them in line. That's what I thought, you know, like, oh, man, I'm going to be harsh. I'm going to make sure that Bryce does the right thing. She's not going to be a wild child. But I'm realizing that's not it. My job is not just to control her. My job as an ambassador is to be a representative of God to her. And so I have to give my daughter grace because God is a grace giver, and I'm a representative of God to my child. And so what we, the question I'm asking myself is, do I give to my daughter on Monday the grace I sing about and preach about on Sunday. We're called not just to control, but to be a representative. Another one is this, that you cannot change your child's heart. Laws and rules can't change it. They're just diagnosis. They just show it. I mean, really, what, what power do we as parents have to change our children's hearts? Little longer groundings, harsher, stricter enforcement, Raising our voice a little more, taking a harsher tone, is that going to change their heart? No. It can control them temporarily. We can get some behavior modification out of it, but it is God and God alone who changes the hearts of man. And so if we're relying on anything else, if we're trying to work fear or reward or shame into the lives of our children, it's a tool and it won't work. It is God and God alone, and he uses us to bring discipline and correction to help lead. God changes hearts. So ask yourself, over the past six weeks, what is the primary tool you're relying on to work change into the heart of your children? 
If it's anything other than God, we've got to reassess. Number four is this, that your reactions today influence your interactions tomorrow. My daughter's just kind of gotten through the potty training stage. Kids, get ready for this. It's going to be fun. You're going to love it one day, right? And so Bryce, she tells us potty pee-pee. And so we're like, oh, you know, you get her and you just like run to the bathroom and find the right toilet. And you get her down and you're like, okay, go. You know, and she's like, I'm not interested anymore. I'm like, what? You know, and then she's like on and off. And I'm like, you just told me you had to go. Like, so go, you know. And then she doesn't go. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'll just take her off. As soon as I take her off, she just pees all over the floor, you know. <laughs> and so I'm starting to like reason with her. I'm like, what are you doing? You told me you had to go. Then you didn't go. Then you stand up and you pee all over the floor, right? And so I start thinking about this. And, and I asked myself this question or the Holy Spirit gave it to me. I was like, I was frustrated and I was expressing my frustration to my 21-month-old. And I was thinking to myself, like, is my response and my reaction going to lead to her nuzzling up in my arm when she's 12 and 24 and 46 and saying, Daddy, I messed up. I need some help. I need some advice. Or is my response and my reaction in that situation going to push her away? Her not peeing on the floor, that's not about her. That's about me. It's about my preferences, my comfort, my convenience. So I think about, man, the way we interact with our children today sets a a huge arc of the way we'll get to interact with them later in the future. And I've seen this as such a clear example. When I worked in Austin as a pastor, there was a young man in my student ministry. His name was Austin. And he had a stepdad, and his stepdad was just this big muscle man and bleached blonde hair and worked out all the time. And that guy's parenting style was just like reverse psychology. I'm going to tell my kid how stupid he is, how worthless he is, how weak he is, and he's just going to buck up. He's just going to want to prove me wrong, and he'll show me. And so day in and day out, this just, you know, you're not good enough, you're worthless, you're weak. And so you know what that does, what it produces in the child? Austin goes home one day, and he just starts swallowing pills until he passes out on his floor. He left the front door to his house open, God's sovereignty, and a neighbor walked over and saw him there. They called 911, rushing to a hospital. They pumped his stomach and gave him charcoal to drink. And then I show up in the room, and I'm talking to him, and he's telling me about his relationship with his dad and the way his dad talks to him and the way his dad has tried to parent him. You think that stepdad has any influence in his life today? He has none. Because your interactions today determine your interactions in the future. So we have to remember that. Another one is this, you must parent with the big picture in mind. Proverbs tells us, well, there's no prophetic vision that people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. A good friend of mine, a good buddy of mine, was telling him about this sermon. He talked to me about the way that he raises his children. I love it. He says, I think, what are the two or three things I want my son to know before he leaves my house? What do I need to work into his life? And here's what he came up with. I want him to share the gospel, and I want him to be a man of integrity. If you mess up, you own it. And then he tells me this. He says, when we get in the car after a football game, I've got two options. I can start talking to him about running, you know, a flag route and how to get open, how to get behind the safety, how to throw your hand up so the quarterback can see you. I can talk about that or I can talk about integrity. And when he's 35 years old, he's not going to need to know how to run a pass route. He's going to know how to be a man of integrity. And so, so that's the way I steer my conversation after football games. I'm like, that's awesome. That is such big picture parenting. That is what I want to do. Last two, and we'll start wrapping up. One is this, you're never done parenting. 
As long as you have children on earth, there's no age specific to this. You've always got influence. You can see from the responses I read earlier, the sting that is still on the hearts of people who are 58 and 59 years old of their parents and what they say. You're never done parenting. The last one is this. We all want to realize you yourself still need and still are being parented by our Heavenly Father. I think about some of the things, you know, when you talk about students or children, and we go, what are the things that bug us? Well, they get mad when they don't get their own way. Or they know what they're supposed to do and they still don't do it. They're selfish. They're whiny. They're ungrateful. They love the things of this world more than they love God. And I go, wait a second. That's me on every account. I still need and still am being parented by my heavenly father. I'm not done. I'm still in process. And so today, the way we want to close is I'm not giving this sermon to guilt anyone or bring shame anyone. Here's what I'm doing. I want you to see the design and the purpose and the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would feel secure in that and you would feel safe in that and you would use that and realize that Christ is greater and that in your family you would be greater honoring and loving and serving and following him. That's our hope. So when it comes to us, when it comes to our family, we must remember that Jesus is greater than your best day as a family member. Jesus is more patient than your best day of patience. Jesus is more forgiving than your most forgiving day. Jesus is wiser than you on your wisest day. And Jesus is greater than your worst day as a family member. When you lose your temper, Jesus is patient with you. When you're unloving, Jesus loves you. When you hold a grudge, Jesus forgives you. He's greater. When you think the worst about your family, Jesus is working for the best in you. He's greater. When you mess up, Jesus paid the penalty for your mistake. He's greater. And when you just want to give up on your family, God never gives up on you. Jesus is greater. Amen? That's why we're here. That's why we're celebrating. And that's the way we want to close our service today. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and Ron's going to come up, and we'll do the offering, and then our students are going to come back, and we are just going to go out of here praising the name of our Lord and Savior because he is greater. He's greater than our highs, our lows, our success, our failure, and he can make a great impact in your family. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy that you lavish upon us. God, we are so undeserving. But Jesus, you, you came and humbled yourself and made a way for us to have a right, restored, renewed relationship with you, God. You are greater than all of our sin. And Lord, you're greater than all of our success. May we never put our hope and our confidence and our trust in the things we achieve on this earth, God. But may we trust and hope and place our confidence in you. Jesus, we love you. I pray for the families here, God. I pray that they would honor, that they would not provoke their children to anger, that, God, you would use these families to make a greater impact in our community and our world. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for who you are and all that you do. It's in your name we pray.